0: This morning we read from holy scripture in the book of Romans chapter 12 that's where we will begin we'll end in chapter 13 we'll begin reading with verse 10 Romans 12 well 9 9 rather Romans 12 verse 9 <clears throat> Let love be without dissimulation That word, dissimulation, is the word without hypocrisy, literally without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. (coughs) Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. We read that far in God's Word. (coughs) morning, we consider the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 40. What doth God require in the Sixth Commandment? That neither in thoughts, nor words, nor gestures, much less in deeds, I dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor, by myself or by another, but that I lay aside all desire of revenge Also that I hurt not myself, nor willfully expose myself to any danger. Wherefore also the magistrate is armed with the sword to prevent murder. But this commandment seems only to speak of murder. And forbidding murder, God teaches us that he abhors the causes thereof, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he accounts all these as murder. But is it enough that we do not kill any man in the manner mentioned above? No, for when God forbids envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, meekness, mercy, and all kindness towards him, and prevent his hurt hurt, as much as in us lies, and that we do good even to our enemies. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, by way of introduction, we consider a few things that have been previously mentioned but are especially evident and brought out by the passage of Scripture we read and the explanation of the Sixth Commandment by the Heidelberg Catechism here. The first is that although the Sixth Commandment is not the first of the commandments in the second table of the law. Those that pertain to the duties we owe our neighbor, nevertheless, it is a summary of the entire second table of the law. That's clear when in the passage we read and the explanation of the Catechism the summary of this commandment as to its positive requirement is the exact same summary of the law itself that our Lord Jesus, when He said the second commandment, the second great commandment is that we love our neighbor as ourself. That's the very same summary that the Apostle Paul gives to the law of God in the passage we read and explains precisely what that means. There is however a very close relationship between this the sixth commandment and the fifth which we had mentioned earlier and that is because It is really impossible to love your neighbor without, first of all, having a love in your heart, which in the fifth commandment is really expressed as honor. It is amazing how often in Scripture, when it comes to the subject of the neighbor, then also the subject of mutual subjection enters into the discussion that's brought out in the passage we read also here, where the Apostle is giving instruction on genuine love, love without dissimulation, and talks about us being of the same mind one toward another, and mind not high things, but condescend. He's talking about a certain honor of one another, which is explained in the fifth commandment. Besides that, the fifth commandment, Sets forth the duties that we owe to our neighbor and how they begin really with honor. Because our parents are our closest neighbor when we are children. They are the ones who teach us how to keep God's good commandments. This is where we learn to honor and where we discover if we do not honor our neighbor, then we essentially have this problem. That we hate them we violate the sixth commandment but also let's consider this morning too. then this that if in fact the sixth, sixth commandment which explicitly forbids murder is really a summary of the entire law then this is the one then that shows what God requires of us in the keeping of his law that God requires not simply that we obey Him outwardly with regard to certain deeds, say, of murder, negatively, but also positively, in deeds like giving of goods, but also inwardly, and also reveals this too, how and why it is, that whenever we violate any of the commandments against the neighbor they really are all murder if we steal the neighbors goods if we commit adultery with the neighbors wife if we covet the neighbors goods then those are all essentially murder and that too we must recognize also finally You'll notice the passage that we read, as well as the explanation of the Heidelberg Catechism, shows a close link between this commandment and our relationship to the state. That exactly because of God's requirements with us toward the neighbor, and this commandment, that we must speak also then about our relationship to the state and the duties of the state, and our duties toward that state, which is brought out here in this passage also. Consider with me this morning loving our neighbor as ourselves, loving our neighbor as ourselves, the summary not only of the law, but of this commandment. And we notice in the first place the commandment itself, and secondly the ground, what's the reason for this commandment, what underlies it, and then finally the blessing the blessing of living in obedience to this commandment. The specific sin, of course, as even the little children here know, that is forbidden by the Sixth Commandment, is that we do not murder our neighbor. Thou shalt not kill. We understand rightly from the Holy Scripture not to forbid all killing as such, but only a certain kind of killing that we know to be murder. There is a reason why this commandment is set forth more generally than just murder. Even as with the seventh commandment, there is a reason why the commandment is also set forth quite narrowly, but rightly is understood to include a much broader spectrum of sins that of course is to highlight that murder is the grossest form of violating this commandment. The commandment does not forbid all killing and we need to look at that because it does say something about the ground that we are going to look at in a few moments. And we ought to point out that in this regard too, many Christians are wrong. It has become fashionable in the Christian church world that to say that on the basis of the Sixth Commandment and the love we have toward the neighbor, and of course there's a lot of other reasons that are behind it, that God forbids all killing, including the killing of animals, and is behind the movement that to be a good Christian nowadays we should live a vegetarian lifestyle. Well, that's not true. There's no truth to that whatsoever. And if we would be forbidden to kill animals on the basis of this commandment, then we would be forbidden to kill plants too because they are life. But there's a reason why That is not the case. There's a reason why God made clear that man as the king of the creation was authorized in a certain way to kill. That even Adam was told, Noah was told, the saints in the Old Testament all knew that it was appropriate and right to kill animals. They were to kill them for food. They were to kill them for sacrifices. And if you ask, well, how can that be or why that somewhat impinges on the ground, but for now we can say this, because they're not persons underlying the truth of this commandment is that God is talking about our attitude, what's in our heart, and our behavior, our outward actions, toward another person. And animals are not persons. Plants are not persons. They are alive. And one is mobile and the other is not. But human beings are different. They're persons. Having said that and having understood now that the commandment specifically isolates a certain attitude, and behavior toward persons. We notice also that the commandment does not forbid either all killing of persons. The idea behind the commandment is that God forbids unauthorized, illegal killing, killing that does not have the authority to carry it out. This is the case when the Scriptures make clear that, for example, in the Old Testament, Israel was even commanded to kill certain individuals. They were to put them to death. They were to kill all the accursed nations around them, including men, women, and children. As gruesome as it sounds, that was the commandment God gave. Then in the law itself, The nation of Israel was commanded to kill certain persons who committed certain sins, certain criminals. And it's worth reminding ourselves of this because it does indicate an attitude of God toward these sins that is often lost in our day because these sins no longer deserve execution according to the law of the state in many instances but nevertheless the law of God in the Old Testament indicates God's attitude toward them murderers of course but also kidnappers were to be executed children who cursed their parents were to be executed farmers who let a dangerous cow roam about and accidentally kill their neighbor was to be executed witches Sabbath breaking was a capital offense in Old Testament Israel idolaters but also these sexual sins adultery homosexuality bestiality and pedophilia were all sins of a capital nature and required various forms of death at the hands of the authorities in the nation of Israel But in the New Testament too, God still gives the state authority to execute criminals by execution. We read in Romans 13 verse 4 rightly that the magistrate is armed with the sword. The sword of the magistrate is to be carefully distinguished between the sword uh, from the sword of the church. The church too wields a sword, a spiritual sword. And in a spiritual way, it makes a separation it does a certain work of the Lord it divides it cuts asunder and that is the sword of Christian discipline but that's entirely spiritual the Lord gives a physical sword to the state that actually they are called to execute criminals the state is also authorized to defend itself and thus also to arrange for an army, whether it be by conscription or draft, implying then that those Christians who were conscripted or drafted were therefore authorized by the state to kill the enemy. That does not mean that all wars and all killing in war is justified, but the fact is there is a certain amount of it that is God even calls the state to exer- exercise the sword so that when the state refuses to engage in the killing of certain crimes and the killing of certain individuals, it bears that responsibility before God, and God holds the state accountable whether it recognizes it or not. doesn't really matter. One of the things that people in our nation don't want to talk about is the very chaos and the very destruction of home and family that's going on in our society is from a certain viewpoint deliberate it is deliberate and it's caused by the policies of the government among which policies are to not punish criminals as they ought to be before God and what we need to reckon with too is that's deliberate on the part of the state in it's rebellion against God. There's a deliberateness to that. Well, God judges that and He doesn't wait till the end of time to do that. He judges such a nation and people and government. This implies also something that is worth remembering that it is our duty, our duty as citizens of the state, even though we be citizens of the church, to report crime to the officials of the state, regardless now of how the state might deal with that criminality. It's our duty to do that, something we need to be reminded of, because it's our instinct to think this way. Well, since this crime is committed by a member of the church, it only needs to be reported to the church if it's reported at all, and they get a pass with regard to the state, that's not true at all. In fact, in many instances, the first phone call should be made to the state, and that's brought out by our church order, which refers to both in its articles, of uh, 72 through 77 which deal with these matters and also brought out by the belgic confession article 36 which is which states very clearly that the state is given by our gracious God now notice to restrain the dissoluteness of men to restrain that to restrain the wickedness and the evil and the depravity of men And it's not simply referring to men that belong to the world, but to the men that belong to the state that is given this authority, and that includes members of the church, members of the church. And that doesn't go away simply because we're in the church. Now God gives another way to restrain the dissoluteness of men in the church, which is Christian discipline. And why when Christian discipline isn't exercised rightly, then just like the state, God judges that church, and often by giving the church over to that sin, that it refuses to discipline or disciplines incorrectly. Be that as it may, there is also another deterrent, which is the state. And the corruptness of the state doesn't excuse us from that requirement. And I make it a requirement. It's not an option. Negatively, the evil that's forbidden in this commandment is murder. That is, the unauthorized taking of the life of another person. And then, The catechism makes clear it forbids murder then in every form. All hatred of the neighbor is essentially murder. And oh, that we would understand that. Scripture states very clearly that he that hates his brother is a murderer. And we like to imagine to ourselves that as long as we don't actually Kill with a knife or a gun our neighbor, our brother, even, then it's not really murder. Furthermore, we even excuse that which is murder because it's hatred as authorized. A great deal of murder goes on in the church. You have been murdered, I have been murdered, and we have murdered others with our hatred which we excuse and excuse because we say, they deserve it. They like the criminal that ought to be executed. They deserve my hatred. They deserve what I'm doing to them. And it is all self-justified sin is really what it is. And God's judgment, when we fail to recognize that and treat it that way, is, as we'll see in the last point, God gives us over to chaos and destruction and war. Any sin against the neighbor is murder because it's an expression of that hatred. I am thankful that in the Protestant Reformed churches and Trinity Protestant Reformed Church in particular, that we have come to recognize that certain sins against the neighbor are what we may call abuse and by abuse we mean that it misuses authority and power that God gives to someone say for example as a parent or as an office bearer or even as an adult to harm the neighbor and have come to recognize that regardless of the nature of the offense, whether it's sexual or otherwise, that such sins are a form of murder. They're not simply sins, say, for example, against the ninth commandment or the seventh commandment, but they are sins against the sixth commandment. What we need to do is understand, as people of God, in the light of His Word, that every single sin that we commit against the neighbor that is laid out carefully in the second table of the law is murder. And that's brought out so clearly in this passage when it talks about the fact that even our thoughts and what we think in our attitudes toward the neighbor are murder. So that, therefore, if you steal his property, it's a form of murder. If you take his wife to yourself sexually, It's a form of murder. If you even covet his goods, you wished you had them, which often leads then to adultery and theft. That too is murder. It's worth pointing out then also that many of the sins that are listed out that regard the heart, therefore are hatred. We need to be reminded of that Too, because we're so good at excusing them. There has been many a family, many a congregation, and many a church that has been rent asunder, torn asunder. There have been many controversies, many wars, many disputes that have at their root simply hatred. It may be carefully disguised hatred, and oh, we can carefully disguise it. We all know about speaking the truth in love. So we often tell somebody whom we actually hate and are hating in our soul that we're going to tell them the truth and we're going to speak the truth and even hip- hypocritically say we're doing it in love, when in fact it is the exact opposite. Hidden in there is a desire for revenge. Hidden in there is greed. Hidden in our heart is simply that we do not like the person and how they live their life. Envy. Envy and jealousy. A desire to be somebody. A desire to have authority and power. A desire to be known in the congregation or in the home. That's all hatred. It's all murder. It's all forms of it. And we're left unchecked. Where it's just allowed to remain there, you can be certain eventually it breaks out. Breaks out into war and chaos. And war and chaos, that's also equally often disguised as love. We're doing this in love. We need to have this because the truth is at stake or because I'm only caring for you when it's anything but that at all. Heidelberg Catechism lays out so much about this. It's so clear and it is worth our attention to make sure that from time to time we remind ourselves how murderous a society we actually live in. Time and time again, we are told that we live in a civilized society, that we are a loving people, and the church is such a loving church and place, when in fact, what's happening is more and more murder is being authorized and excused, and institutions and even churches are being destroyed by their own murderous heart and thought but we ought to recognize that with regard to ourselves too how easily we murder we can murder the scriptures say even by carelessness The man as I mentioned who had a cow that he knew was dangerous and he allowed it just to roam and it eventually killed a neighbor the Old Testament considered that murder we murder by our looks, we can murder by our gestures, we can murder by our Facebook post and we can murder in many many different ways. Simply murder by being impatient, by being unkind. Simply murder by the thoughts that we have about someone. The positive good of course that's required is love what God forbids then the opposite he commands and very carefully shows here what's required of us is patience what God requires of us is meekness what God requires is that as much as possible we live at peace with our neighbor he requires mercy he requires kindness toward the neighbor and especially now doing good toward the neighbor and what's amazing is how often the scriptures remind us and all of your neighbors it is quite remarkable how often the scriptures bring that up and it's related to the fact that we often see or take God's law we truncate it and say well God requires only this with regard to my Godly neighbor, my neighbor in the church. This is amazing how that is really the default position that we have, and it's anything but right. God requires us to love all of our neighbors in a very real sense. Now, to be sure, the form of that love may change. may change depending upon who that neighbor is, and they respond to what we do. Nevertheless, the Bible recognizes it, and demands it, and requires it. And it does that when it simply tells us to do good to our neighbors, to do good even to our enemies. That is, those who hate us, those who scorn us, those who show all kinds of murderous things. How unlike our thinking and thoughts is the Word of God. It is not. God but man who says I will love only those who deserve it I will only love those who are my friends I will only love those who love me in return or love me first no scripture says do good even to your enemies don't return their evil with evil don't return their name calling with name calling don't return their desire for revenge with more desire for revenge. Don't recompense their evil with more evil. Don't do it. Your neighbor is anyone with whom God in his providence brings you into contact. Anybody at work, anybody in the grocery store, anybody in your home. And of course, there are neighbors that are more close to us, which is why you will find the expressions of love and how we Form that love and show that love so exceedingly different. That's not wrong. Some people like to make that requirement that God requires of you the same form of love for your wife that you have for your ungodly neighbor. Well, that's not true. That's not right. I'm married to my wife. I live with my wife in an entirely different way than I do my neighbor. In fact, If you look closely, you will discover there's really a whole different set of commandments, not completely different, they're related, where the Scriptures make clear how we show love rightly toward the ungodly neighbor. It reflects God's own behavior. But be that as it may, we may never dismiss that. Why is that? Well, now we get sort of to the ground of the matter so let's put that off just a second the emphasis of the Bible having said that however is undoubtedly with regard to our closer neighbors that is the neighbors with whom we spend most of our time and with whom we have the closest relationships that is the neighbor in the church and the neighbor in the family our husband or wife or parents or children And that's important for us because it's a good gauge of how sinful we actually are and how in need of forgiveness we continually are and how much we ought to desire that perfection God has proposed for us in a life to come. Consider what God requires of us here and consider actually how we think and act and live with our closest neighbors. Those whom we ought to love the most are often the people that we hurt the most, that we can hate the most. And if you want a list especially of the positives, there are some negatives in there too, I refer you back to Romans 12. Simply go through that. Romans 12 and 13 that we read are in many ways simply the Bible's own explanation of Lord's Day 40. It really summarizes it in the same way that the Catechism does. In many ways, we can say that the Catechism of Lord's Day 40 was looking right at this passage. It talks about love simply being this, that we rejoice with them that rejoice, and we weep with those that weep when we're kind when we're liberal in the distributing of goods, when we're hospitable and even praying. The idea is praying for the neighbor, praying for their needs, thinking about them in prayer, rejoicing in hope, things like that. We, we need to be reminded of, what, what is that kind of thing? Well, it, it's, it's things like this. Sometimes there's not justice in this earth, either in the church or in the world, and we still have hope. We see evil, we see sin, we see iniquity. We still have faith and believe in the Holy Catholic Church. We don't desire vengeance for ourselves. Now we move on to the ground, and when we look at the ground, if you could summarize, the ground is really one thing. you could say it's God Himself. When you look at this commandment and look at what God requires and ask yourself, "Why does God require me to love my neighbor as myself?" the answer is has to do with God. You might simply say, because God is who he is. Now, when I say that, I do not mean simply this. Well, this is God's law. This is what he says. Obey it. He's bigger than you are. He has the right to judge you. You will be held accountable. That will all be true. But trying to get at something even deeper, This commandment is a reflection of who God is. It is the will of God for us because of who God is. To go a little further, it has to do with the fact that God created man the way He did, and therefore every human being who came from Adam. That was done deliberately. It was done a certain way. And sin against the second table of the law murder of one's neighbor in all of its forms sins against that, sins against the God who created man the way he did. Be more specific. The ground for this commandment has to do with the fact that God created each human being as a person. And not only a person, but a unique individual person this does not receive as much attention among us as it should. We concentrate upon the being and the life. But underlying the being and the life of every human being is their person. You see, when God made man in his image, God made man not simply a human being like he made dog beings and horse beings, and plant beings, and rock beings, but he made a person. And that person is the reflection of God himself, who is three persons. And those three persons in the being of God, notice the difference between person and being. There's the being God, and then in that being of God are three persons, and those three persons live as neighbors. They live in perfect love, one for the other. Fellowship and friendship, we call the covenant. And there's no hatred, no animosity, no greed, no envy, no mistreatment, no abuse of power and authority that goes on in that relationship. And God makes man to reflect that. And so God made every man a person. A person. The person is the subject of all of their life all of their uniqueness before God it's their individuality it is the owner of all the property God gives them it is the subject of their entire existence now scripture Genesis 9 6 forbids murder and demands the killing of murderers because man is made in the image of God James 3 verse 9 forbids the cursing of men for the same reason Those passages are not teaching that man still possesses the image of God. The image of God is His righteousness, His knowledge, and His holiness, which man lost in the fall. And that righteousness, knowledge, and holiness is only restored in Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, there is still in man the reflection that he was made in that image. And that's largely because of his person. It's in the person, it's by the person and through the person that a man is righteous before God or unrighteous. It's in his person that he's either holy or unholy before God, that either knows God or he doesn't. And when man hates, when man destroys wrongly and murders, he's murdering that which God made and made specifically so that man might bear his image that's what scripture teaches even though man loses the image in the sense that he loses his knowledge and righteousness and holiness before God the person remains The person remains only now remains before God unrighteous and unholy and darkened in sin but murder attacks that person and the idea is attacks it exactly because God made it. Because it reflects God. It shows who God is. It's part of the glimmerings of natural light that leave men without excuse. That's why God alone gives to that person also their unique life, their property. Gives to that person their wife, their home, Gives to them their responsibility like I said it's in that person that a person is either righteous or unrighteous before God and murder attacks that goes after that that's why it's a form of hatred against God that's why all violation of the second commandment is fundamentally a violation of the first table of the law then for the child of God it's even more one thing that the world murders itself which was made in the image of God and reflects its fact that it was made by God in the church it's even more so that that person is the person that God redeemed God redeems persons he saves persons from immortal death and grants immortal life it's in the person where we should have suffered everlastingly in hell. Read, read some time the awful description of the human person that is not redeemed by Christ. And it says about that person that being immortal, they shall suffer everlastingly in hell. And not only that, but we shall see it and be amazed by it because it reflects the absolute justice and perfection of God in condemning man for all of his murder. Remember, man is condemned for his murder. But our persons have been redeemed, have been bought. God has adopted our persons to be His own children and heirs. God sent Jesus Christ, the person of the Son of God. Notice that. God sends a person his own son in our flesh that he might redeem real persons deliver them from this sin and and so when we hate that person we hate God in a very special way who redeemed that person that's the great sin that actually goes on in a marriage where there's spousal abuse that's the great sin that goes on whereby God said to little children if you curse your parents, you're going to die. That's what God was reflecting in those commandments that we look at and shudder and say, that's a little harsh. No, not really. Not if you understand who those persons are. Besides that, part of the ground for the commandment too is all vengeance belongs to God. He will repay. Notice how that too is brought out in the passage we read. Why is that brought out? Because that's the excuse we often give to hate. They don't deserve my love, is really what we're saying, but we express it as what they deserve is this and this and this and this. And because they don't, I have the right to think this and this and this about them. Well, that's, that's hatred. Now, there's many reasons for that. There may be, from every earthly point of view, a certain justification. We look at it and go, well, look what that person did. Or look what didn't happen justice-wise with regard to that person. But it doesn't excuse any hatred. Any expression of hatred. Any evil speaking and thinking about that person. Never does. Ever. We never have the right or the excuse to say what we say so often. Besides that, what God brings out here—it's especially with regard to this commandment that we show ourselves children of God. I don't have time this morning to elaborate too much, but it is amazing how right here, what the Scripture reveals is the occasion for the view that God loves all men with a saving love. And the ground for that is God gives rain and sunshine to all men. And that's grossly misunderstood. But the fact is, in all this, we're reflecting God and certain truths about God, so I'll elaborate those very briefly. The fact is, God does give good gifts to all men, just like God requires us to do that. He doesn't say, show goodness and be kind and give food to your hungry uh, lover and friend, but your enemy. Well, it's a reflection of God. God does that. God does that. God doesn't make distinction in who He pours rain and sunshine on, but it comes upon all men, the wicked and the unjust. And then it reflects this reality about God. God loves sinners. Not all sinners. God loves murderers, but not all murderers. Well, how so? Well, He loves you and He loves me, does He not? And what are you and what am I? We're murderers. That's what you are, that's what I am, murderers. Well, not only does God given us rain and sunshine and clothes on our back and houses to live in and cars along with everybody else who hates God, but He loves us so that He gave His only begotten Son to die for such murderers as us. And then, and notice too, The amazing reality that when Christ died he was crucified as a murderer he was placed in the middle of that bunch of murderers murderers so bad that even the state recognized it but Jesus was put among them why because he himself personally was a murderer no his person was clean his person was righteous before God his person as itself as it were didn't deserve it but he did because he took our sin upon him and that was the sin of murder And now God calls us to reflect that, to reflect that. Do you understand why it's so horrible for us to use the excuse that someone doesn't deserve it to be good, to do good, to be kind? Just to be good and kind. It says we don't know the first thing about what God did for us. We don't recognize the first thing about it. We don't recognize God actually saved me a sinner, a murderer, when we say, well, that person doesn't deserve my kindness, doesn't deserve that I withhold these words and those words, or that I withhold this goodness that I could show to them. Do you see how horrible that is? Then how can you confess you were saved by grace and mercy and kindness? And that the only explanation for your salvation is truly God's love. Whom He did foreknow, He predestinated. We just saw the other night that God redeemed us and sent His Christ in His love for us. And then we turn around and say, well, I'm not going to love them. They They don't like me. They're not nice to me. They hurt me. Even worse, when we insist that they can't be saved or aren't saved what's the blessedness there is a blessedness in keeping this commandment oh well, we cannot keep it pers- personally but just as there is a warning about living in the sin of this commandment so we must recognize the blessedness we recognize it i hope right It has to do with peace. Did you notice how in the passage we read, the issue of peace came up? Live peaceably with all men, have peace, you will find peace. You know, the real problem in us, when we will not forgive, or when we will not deal charitably with someone else, especially in the church. You know what the real problem is? That we're not at peace with God we may say we're at peace and we may say I'm saved by grace and mercy but we really don't believe it that's not really our thinking our thinking really is in some way we deserved God saving me we deserve somehow Christ coming to redeem me we deserve somehow the love of God and it's not true and that then is reflected in the attitude towards someone else or it works the other way that if we start behaving that way and keep behaving that way that's pretty soon how we think with regard to God And there's no peace in that. There will never be peace for the soul, never be peace with the neighbor, never be peace in the home. If there is this kind of behavior that goes on at home, I can assure you God will destroy that home. It will be just rent to smithereens. It's the way it goes. What can you expect? Hatred is a form of division, rebellion. Or those are forms of hatred, I should say. So where that goes on, The result is schism, division, chaos. That's what's going on in society. Would it be any different in the church? Does God come to the church and say, look, it doesn't really matter how you live with your life because you're not saved by that anyway. You're saved by faith, not by works. So it doesn't really matter how you treat your wife and your kids. You can go live in hatred against your husband day after day after day, and it'll have no consequences whatsoever. And, And you can sit in the pew And you can hate your brother and your sister, and you can hate the minister and the elders, and you can hate this person and that person. And you can think all kinds of evil and even talk about them when no one's around or talk about them when others are around. You can just keep doing that, and it'll be just fine. You will have peace and joy and happiness and assurance. No. No. The result will be division. The result will be war. The result will be controversy that you can't imagine, and division that you can't imagine, and war. It's all the consequences of it. It's God's judgment. God's judgment is always that He gives us over to sin. But you must see the opposite is peace. Peace with God. That's what we have to have first, you understand. Getting now into the possibility, you understand. If you've been redeemed and saved by God in Jesus Christ, if your sins have been given by Him completely of mercy and grace, then you're going to be at peace with God, aren't you? And if you're at peace with God, you'll be at peace with your neighbor. It's only then that you're able to say, you know what? I can wait for God to take vengeance on this. I can trust in my God who knows all. He knows the facts, He knows the truth. I'll let God judge. This is when you can live in patient diversity. You can even deal with those who have all kinds of nasty things and evil ne- names to say. Where does it come from? The answer is peace with God. But what's the result of that? Peace with the neighbor. Peace with the neighbor. You see, it isn't always about being right. It isn't always about what you think. and it's about God. It's about our salvation. It's about reflecting that in our life. And that's very important to God. That's the way He wants His people to live and what He wants them to be in His life. So we reflect Him as reborn sons and daughters of Him, remade in His image, who not only righteous, but holy, who not only love Him, but reflect that love in their life. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, O Lord, forgive us murderers, our sin and iniquity, the hatred that we harbor in our heart, the sharp tongue that we exhibit in our writing and in our speech, all these help us, O Lord, to see our truly murder and terrible, terrible murder against our brother and sister and fellow neighbor. Forgive us, O Lord, in our Jesus Christ who died for us, who is the very expression of Thy love for us so undeserving, And help us to live, therefore, in peace one with another through Jesus Christ and His Spirit, in whose name we pray. Amen.